there. Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today, we have two interview guests. The first is Ted Filipakos, an American who's the chief marketing officer of Venezia, newly promoted to Italy's Serie A. Then I'm joined by Sarah Zadrazil of Bayern Munich, who played her college ball at East Tennessee State University. We've had some great guests lately, including Simon Cooper, Leander Sharlockins, and Chris Russell. So check those out. Now, here's my interview with Ted Filipakos. Our guest now is Ted Filipakos. He's an American who's the chief marketing officer at Venezia, the newly promoted Serie A team. Venezia has an American owner and president, Duncan Niederauer, the former CEO of the New York Stock Exchange and longtime Goldman Sachs partner, and just signed two young American players, Gianluca Buzio and Tanner Tessman. Ted, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, there's lots to talk about here. I got a lot of questions. We're recording this on Thursday, and it's posting on Monday. Uh, over the weekend, Venezia has its first Serie A game at Napoli. Uh, Venezia is a great story. It's the club's first season in Serie A in, I think, 19 years. Uh, you've risen from the fourth division to the top flight in just the last five years. You're in Venice, one of the world's great tourist destinations. How would you describe this club's journey in recent years? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a dream. I mean, I it was just a few months ago that the promotion happened. I, this was my second stint at the club. I was here uh, first in 2016-17. Um, that was the year we were promoted from Serie C to Serie B. Um, and then I came back last summer. And um, I mean, frankly... We didn't really expect this to happen last year. Um, there was a good plan in place. It's the reason I come back. I came back, and you know the target was always promotion, but timeline was realistically more like two or three years probably. But things fell into place for us quickly, and um, yeah, I mean I, I had the context of having seen Serie C. And uh, and when I arrived, we had only just been promoted from Serie D. So it's really something that uh, has has been incredible. I mean, it kind of defies belief for me because, um, yeah, first time in 19 years um, and all the inherent challenges we have playing football in Venice and to have reached this point and rather quickly. Um, it, it really is an incredible story and, and something really unique in the world of football. What are some of those challenges that this club has faced as it's skyrocketed up to the top flight? Well, we are uh, fundamentally a small club, relatively small club. We have a small stadium. It's, it's on the lagoon. There are you know, inherent challenges for us to compete with the bigger clubs um, economically Obviously, that translates to our ability to compete on the pitch. Um, obviously, Venice is a is a particular city in general in terms of the way things work here. And um, and yeah, now now we're arriving in one of the biggest leagues in the world, playing against some of the the biggest clubs in the world. And um, I mean, for me, it's really. Um, as somebody who gets to be a part of it, uh, obviously it's 
this is only going to continue to be an amazing experience. But it's, you know, it's to take a step back and as somebody who's been involved in football for a while and, and a fan of football, I think this is an important story considering, um, you know, when I think when you look at the landscape, the, you know, uh, the increasing, I guess you can say, sort of elitism of European football is, I mean, for me, not something I, I enjoy. Maybe some people do. I don't know. But like I said, a, a more, you know, modest club and the fact that we could reach this point and, and hopefully we can we can stay up and, and compete, I think, I think it's relatable. I think it's uh, an underdog story that a, lo a lot of people would like to see succeed. I can't wait to see games uh, this season. Uh, the league's going to be on Paramount Plus, CBS, uh, and uh, and that should be interesting. Obviously, um, how did you first get connected to Venezia the first time around, and and, and then the second time around? So I used to be a player agent. Um, and uh, after some years, I, I started transitioning. I, um, I moved to academia. I was a, I was a professor at, uh, at NYU for the last four, four years before I left. And um, I, I had really f fallen in love with, with being at the university and teaching students. And so I decided okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out of representing players. And I was part-time faculty to start, and I was like, okay, well, I'll, you know, this is great. This is, I think, what I want to do um, for the long term. So I'm going to be patient and wait for them to create something full-time. And I slowly started, uh, I stopped recruiting players, and I, and I started just uh, closing, closing the practice. Um, so I was down to one player in MLS, who I didn't even recruit. Actually, his his dad had been calling me from the time he was a sophomore in college a couple times a year. By the time he reached his senior year, I started reading that he was going to go to the combine, he was going to get drafted, and I kind of broke my rule. I was like, this fell into my lab. He seems like a good kid. It's not going to really change what I'm doing. I'll, I'll represent him. And that one remaining client uh, his his father called me one day and said, hey, my friend is part of the group of Americans that are taking over Venezia FC. You should talk to him. And yeah, I, I think they were probably thinking, well, let's, let's send my son to go play in Italy. Before I knew it, I had an offer to be the CEO of Venezia FC, which was awkward because, <laughs> yeah, that, that full-time faculty position had opened up uh, I was already in the process, the, the formal process of going for that job, and I thought the next, you know, 10 years of my life were set up at minimum. And then the offer came, and I, I, ditched, <laughs> I ditched the whole thing to go to Venice. And then what led to you coming back the second time? Um, I, the first season in Venice was great in a lot of ways. Um, Obviously, we had the promotion. I think it was the first time. I think we were returning to Serie B for the first time in 12 years. So it was a big accomplishment. That was great. Um, some of my work uh, with the brand and on the marketing side was, was going well. Um, I didn't really have full faith in 
the project in, in, in some of the things that were happening. And I had another offer. Um, it was uh, Mike Piazza's project at Rajana. So I decided to take that offer. And then that had a, and then, I mean, the Piazza story is like that. I mean, there's a long story in the athletic about that. I, I don't, what are, what were your thoughts about it in that experience? Yeah, I, I think I just, uh, <laughs> by mentioning that, I just opened a, a whole other conversation, haven't I? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think, I think the athletic piece probably told, it, it was, is a great piece. Robert's a great journalist, but it probably told even 20, just 20% of the story. I mean, it was, I went there for a reason, uh, obviously. I think, I absolutely love Reggio Emilia. I think it's a really a wonderful city. I was super happy being there. The, the club is amazing. I mean, they have a Serie A stadium. They have, have, they have a big fan base. Um, there's, the region in general is amazing. There's, you know, there, there are companies, there are sponsors. It's, it's an economically viable project if done right. And, and Mike was great. I mean, I had a good relationship with him. I, I loved how he, you know, he clearly, I think he missed being an athlete. And I think being around players again, he got a lot of joy out of that. It was fun to be around. Um, I mean, to make a long story short, I, I think they cut out too soon. Uh, you know, he and, he and his wife decided to, to leave after that season. I, I think that was a mistake, you know, because I think, you know, Rajana in, in Serie B is, is, I think there you have a project. Um, and ultimately after they left, Rajana did make it to Serie B. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate the way it ended because it could it could have been something completely different. But um, but yeah. So after that, I I I moved to Athens and I I co-founded a, a creative agency working in uh, in sports and culture. And then after a couple of years, I uh, I learned there was gonna there were gonna be some changes in Venice uh, with the ownership and the management. That's when Duncan Niederauer took over. Um, they invited me to come back. Um, I, I, I mean, Duncan's career it speaks for itself. I, you know, I had some early conversations with him, and I, I, I was excited about what was possible. And I always felt like I left Venice um, with it, it was. I didn't have closure. I, th I thought, um, you know, it always would have bothered me. It, it, it always would have been a. What, what could have been and uh, the chance to go back and and finish what we started or at least continue what we started was was very um, exciting for me I just just always needed the right support and I think Duncan brought that and um, you know he created if uh, a, a financial stability but he also created I think an organizational culture that is, um, you know, I mean, being promoted means we obviously had quality on the pitch, but it wasn't always clear that we were the top team in the league or one of the top three teams in the league. But I think over the long run, doing things the right way and, and having the right culture and having a real group allowed us to, you know, punch above our weight. And I think that was a big factor in us ultimately being promoted.
Before I go any further, you mentioned the athletic story on Mike Piazza's team, uh, and you mentioned Robert Robert Andrew Powell, for listeners, uh, is the author of that story. It's a really interesting one. He also wrote a really interesting book about spending a year living in Juarez uh, around that team in Mexico. Um, as far as your job responsibilities are concerned at the club, what are they? Um, well, I'm the CMO, so I'm responsible for directing the brand strategy and the uh, marketing strategy and uh, also the commercial area, so merchandise and sponsorships. Your kit launches have been fantastic. How have you approached that? Uh, well, we hired um, uh, a strong design team. Uh, we were working with uh, a New York agency uh, called Fly Nowhere. So um, we, uh, we had good design capability and uh, we had a strong overall concept, I think, um, not only for the kits, but in terms of uh, what we thought the, the brand should be generally. So I think ultimately what you're seeing now is something that is, I hope, comes across as something that is cohesive uh, all the way through in terms of the way we represent the brand and we try to make it something that's authentic to the city and something that um, is different. Um, I mean, a, a part of uh, the, you know, a factor in what we're trying to do is um, not just so easily fall into what everybody else is doing. Um, I think I think that's generally good advice, but especially because, I mean, Venice is a singular place. We, we, you know, we kind of need to do our own thing in many respects. We've seen Gianluca Buzio and Tanner Tessman just sign with the team from their MLS teams. Is there a strategy at the club to sign young American players? I'm sure it comes across to the public as marketing-driven, but it, it actually was not at all. Um, I, I actually had always said half jokingly, like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a list of players that are just, they would be nice to have for marketing reasons. Like at least vet them when you guys are, you know, searching the market, I actually never got around to doing that. Um, obviously it's, you know, um, to have two U S international, young U S internationals on our team. Um, it generates a lot of interest in the States, which is great, but r really those two signings um, were in entirely uh, motivated by sporting reasons. So, you know, when, when it came to me that, hey, these, these American guys are coming in, it was, it was great news, but um, it, I, it was really just a case of, um, I mean, like, like I said before, we don't have you know, we're never going to have the money that Inter has or that Juventus has where it's, we need to look for value. Um, and I think generally speaking, I mean, it's important for us to, to, you know, we're looking to stay up this year, of course. If we don't, I don't, I don't think that means we failed in, in any way. This is a long-term project. Um, but, um, yeah, we, we need to, to find and develop value. And, and I don't want to speak too much for the sporting side, but they, they clearly saw in, 
in Gianluca and in, in Tanner, two kids that have a lot of potential. And um, I'm, I'm very excited that we get to, to see that develop here. In the Coppa Italia, your team already advanced last week um, on penalties. Uh, in terms of, I know Tessman was involved in that game. I know these guys, these Americans just got over there. How are things going for Buzio and Tessman so far, just from what you know about sort of their adjustment to a new country? It's probably too soon to tell. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not with the players every single day or, or at least, um, you know, I've obviously I've met both guys and they seem, they seem thrilled and they, they don't seem nervous or anxious or anything like that. They seem like confident kids and I think we have a good environment for them. Um, I think they're excited about the opportunity they're going to get here. Um, we actually do have a, a, a very international roster. Um, so it's, it's not really a case of, you know, there's 28 Italians on the team and, and two American guys who might maybe struggle with the language or the culture or something else. I mean, they're, you know, from a language perspective alone, I mean, there's guys they can talk to straight away and, and, and other guys who um, either right now are in a similar situation or, or were from last year. So, um, and I, I think that's something that we we think about and and try to serve i mean we're, we're very conscious about you know for these guys to develop on the pitch they need to be um comfortable off the pitch and integrated into you know the city and the culture so you know from from what from what i have observed um that's going pretty well both guys seem pretty happy nice I am sort of embarrassed to say personally that I have yet to visit Venice in my lifetime. I hope to rectify that soon. But you mentioned that your stadium is on the lagoon. Are you able to play your home games there this season in the league or how does that work? Yeah, we actually are renovating uh, right now. So um, if... If all goes well, we expect to play uh, our first three matches of the season are away. Uh, we're, we're home uh, in week four. Um, our stadium should be ready. And, and yeah, we'll be playing at Stadio Penzo, which is on the lagoon on the island of Sant'Elena. It's it's right adjacent to the grounds of the Biennale. Uh, so it's, it's re really an in incredible location for football. Um, yeah, I think you absolutely should be visiting. I think everyone needs to see Venice at least once in their life because, I mean, when I, I mean, per, when I first got the offer to come here, um, I, I quickly left New York for three, four days. I, I said, guys, let me at least visit and just get a sense of the place before I can even think about, you know, giving up my whole life in New York to come and. And those three, four days where I, I, I went home with that, I, it was like a blur. I don't, I barely remember anything because it's like sensory overload. You, it's like a, you just feel like this can't be a real place. It, it, I mean, it's, it, and even now that I've been here for so long, it's something that, you know, it doesn't get, it doesn't, you, it, it's never normalized. It's never, it never gets old. I mean, and you, 
walk to work on a Tuesday if you're tired or if you're it, it, there's no regular day where Venice just is just it's your normal city every single day you're like this this place is truly incredible and beautiful you know the virus is still here but we're obviously still seeing tourism in Venice one of the biggest tourist destinations in the world if an American soccer fan wants to go to Venice and see your club play in person, do you have any suggestions about how to go about arranging that? Yeah. Um, on our, I mean, to start on our website, we do have some information about um, how to arrive. Once you do arrive at the airport, what you need to do to, to reach the lagoon. Um, there's a starting point for local transportation, how to navigate. I mean, obviously, you haven't been to Venice, but I imagine you know there we don't have cars. So that means navigating either by foot or by boat. Our, our public transportation is uh, the, the water buses, the, the Vaporetto. So and I, I traded the N train for, for that. Um, and... Uh, and um, yeah, so we have some some starting information on how to help you navigate the city, and, and plus some hotels and stuff like that. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we recognize that there's a lot of international interest in the club, um, and I think a component of that is people who are interested in, in Venice itself um, and combining, you know sport and culture and tourism and and we we do our best to to serve that you know i know covid has been really tough on the finances of european soccer clubs in general and yet we're also still seeing investment in italian clubs including from americans what is the financial situation over there right now is it is it possible for italian clubs to be both concerned and but also optimistic. If you're interested in making an investment in European football, um, you know, investing in the Premier League, for example, is very expensive and very competitive. And you know, if if you don't hang on, it, you know, falling down, it, there's no guarantee that you're coming back up, and that's that's an expensive fall. I think. In comparison, I'm speaking very generally, of course, but I think in comparison, Italy has a lot of upside. Um, we were talking about, at least when I was growing up, I mean, Italy was the strongest league. Um, there's an incredible history here. There's incredible passion around the sport here. Um, and I, there's definitely room for the league to grow from a business perspective. So... You can imagine people wanting to buy into that and help grow the league. Um, I, I I know. I mean, at, at least not not to speak too much for for Duncan, but I know you know he's a, he's a businessman. So obviously this is there's a you know, and he's running this like a business. But I also know that you know he and his wife uh, love Venice. So there was that was a I think a. A component of the decision to to back the club as well, um, but but yeah, speaking in, in terms of the opportunity, um, yeah, I, I I I'm pretty optimistic about what can be done in Italy, and uh, and yeah, you mentioned the CBS contract. I mean, that's new, and 
so you, you can kind of see how there's only um, incre increasing interest now uh, in Italy, uh, certainly from the States. Um, and there's, there's a lot of room for that to grow. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I mean, you mentioned the owner, Duncan Niederauer. We've talked about him a little bit on this interview, but how hands-on is he? How, how often does he involve himself? How often is he over there in Venice? Oh, he's, he's uh, very involved day to day. Um, he's, yeah, he's, he's not an absentee owner that's just sitting in the States hanging out watching the games. Um, he is extremely passionate about, about the city, about the project, uh, about the players. Um, I think, you know, I talked before about how I think our organizational culture has been a force in our, in our rise, um, including on the pitch. And I think, I think a lot of that comes from, um, the, the time and the effort and the care that he puts into um, the players themselves. I think he goes out of his way to develop a relationship with each guy. Uh, I think they all get genuine support, um, not just from Duncan, of course, from the whole club, but, but Duncan is very, very involved in that respect. And I think, I think the extra attention that he gives is, uh, I mean, it, it, it it feels like a competitive advantage for us. Um, I think there are, you know, not to talk about other clubs, I mean, but you can speak very generally and say, whether it's Italy or elsewhere, there are, there are as you suggested, some owners are a bit detached. Other owners are involved in a counterproductive way. <laughs> um, so we're fortunate enough to have a guy who's very involved in a productive way. Yeah. How often do you does your work day to day involve you working in Italian? How often are you working in English? I'm mostly I'm almost entirely working in English. Um, we, you know, we have American owners. We have uh, an office that's half Italian, half international. I mean, we're uh, we're mostly speaking in English. I mean, I'm not super proud of my progress in Italian, but it's a case of like. Uh, you know this this isn't uh this isn't juventus where it's like a well-oiled machine and i and i get to go home at 5:30 and take a couple hours to to study italian i mean we we have a lot of work to do we're a small club that has a relatively small staff and we we all live and breathe this so um yeah I, I hope to get around to improving to be honest with you but right now the focus is the job and I mean, when we were talking earlier just about your decision to leave NYU when the opportunity came up for the first time in Italy, you're there now. What does like your family think about like the 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 change you made to to go from New York to to Europe and and do something very different over there? It's it's not entirely uh, out of context because. Um, I, I mean, my father was born in Greece, my mom's Greek-Italian, so I, I have European roots, I always had a connection to Europe, and, and my brother left the States to play professionally. Um, he had a 10-year career in Greece, he spent two years at Olympiakos, so 
I, I actually wasn't the first kid in the family to to leave the States for European football. I just did it in a different way. His way was probably more fun. <laughs> What's his name, by the way? Okay, got it. Um, and I guess just to wrap up here, I appreciate you taking this much time. How how big do do you all want Venezia to grow? You know, it, it's been this this journey from the fourth division to the top flight very quickly. The owner seems to have established a culture there. I know the goal this season is to stay up, but what could what could this look like in five years, ten years? Right now, the yeah, I, I would say you know, I don't look I don't like speaking for the speaking for the sporting side, but yeah, I think we all understand that the the, the first goal is to stay up, but but that's not to just continue uh, scrapping for survival year after year. I think I think everyone recognizes that if we stay up this year, it's a stepping stone to even uh, even greater stability and and growth opportunities. So that's job one. I don't know. I mean, I I feel really confident in our group all the way around. From the ownership to the people leading the sporting side to to my team, um, I think all the way around we're we're doing really interesting things um, to to build a competitive team for the future. I th- uh, I'm I'm proud of what we're doing to develop the brand and the business. So um, there's no reason why we shouldn't be. Um, Obviously, it's very competitive. Nothing about this is easy, um, but we have a we have a real shot to be uh, a team that you see in in Serie A regularly. You know, what where we go from there? I I don't know. I I don't want to tell you that we're going to be Atalanta and and all of a sudden you know end up in the Champions League. That's there's no reason to talk like that. Um, if that ever if that's even possible that's several steps away um but you know we have a great shot to be a, a Serie A team that's competitive on the on on the field and has a solid business off the field I'm really looking forward to seeing the team play this season we're getting things going here right now Ted Filipakos is the chief marketing officer at Venezia newly promoted to Serie A in Italy Ted thanks so much for coming on the show it was a pleasure thanks Grant The summer of soccer continues on Paramount+. Plus. Stream over 2,000 soccer matches a year from around the world. That's all the heart-pounding drama from CBS Sports, including UEFA Champions League, Europa League, Italy's Serie A, Argentina's Primera División, the Brasileirao, the NWSL, the Asian Football Confederation, and the CONCACAF qualifiers, featuring the stars from the U.S. and Mexican men's national teams. Plus, much more. It's the best of the beautiful game, with all the beautiful names, like Messi, Mbappe, Ronaldo, Rapino, and Pulisic. Be part of the excitement as champions are crowned and history is made. The world's game lives here on Paramount+. Plus. Visit ParamountPlus.com to start your free trial and stream every match live. Now, here's my interview with Sarah Zadrazil. Our guest now is Sarah Zadrazil. 
She's a midfielder for Bayern Munich who scored one of the best goals you'll ever see against Chelsea in last season's Champions League semifinals. She's from Austria, Salzburg to be exact, and played in college at East Tennessee State University. Sarah, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Um, So we're speaking right after your team, Bayern Munich, beat PSG on penalty kicks in the Women's Cup. And we're speaking right before you face Louisville in the final. Our interview is actually coming out a few days after the final. But in terms of the game against PSG, it had to be encouraging for you and your team to beat PSG, correct? Um, Yeah, I think that's high-level soccer, high-high-level soccer, probably the best we can get. And that's what we're looking for in our preseason. So I'm glad that we got the win in the end, but it was just a really good game. It was super hot. It's so humid here. (laughs) So it was actually really tough, but yeah. I'm super excited for the final, and I can't wait to play against Louisville at the home ground. It seems like Bayern Munich has taken a step higher on the women's side in the last two years. You've moved past Wolfsburg, you won the German title, you reached the Champions League semifinals. What is happening at Bayern Munich right now to cause the rise of the women's team? Yeah, I think the club um, is investing more and more. And I also think we've developed as a team over the last couple of years. Obviously, it's only my second season here, but I just love how like we act with each other and our atmosphere on the team. And I think that's a big part of why it's working so well at the moment. Um, we are one team. We all support each other. And I think it's so important because you can have the best players on earth but if it doesn't work as a team it doesn't really help you so i think that's our biggest um plus here at bayern and i can't wait to get the season started and compete in the champions league again and hopefully win some more trophies nice uh, so i want to ask you about how a player from austria ends up playing college soccer at east tennessee state university uh What's the story there? How did that happen? Um, my old coach from college, he messaged me actually on Facebook because I played for like the under 17 national team. And he's originally from England. So he watched some international competition. So he messaged me and was like, hey, do you want to come to America? So I was like, hmm, why not? <laughs> so I went over there and um, visited the university. And it was just amazing to see like what college soccer looks like because obviously I had no idea. And then to be on campus and just see all the facilities and stuff. So I was like, okay, yes, I want to do this. And I'm glad because it was a super cool experience and I would do it all over again if I could. How would you describe your experience? Was it a big culture change from where how you grew up in Austria? Um, yes, it was. It was in the beginning, to be honest, it was kind of hard because obviously I spoke English, but not that well. And I didn't know anyone. And it's the first time away from home. So when I was on the airplane, I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Am I really doing this? Um, But the team was super nice. And so they made it easy for me to connect. And um, yeah, it was a cool experience. It's just like a small city, a big community, and you just know each other. You watch different kinds of sports. You have different events. And I really enjoyed my time there. And like I said, I would do it again if I could. Um, But I'm thankful for my time in the U.S. It seems to me that the college soccer system on the women's side is pretty developed here in the United States. Um, and I'm wondering, is that very, you know, is that different? How different is that in Europe? Because I know that they don't attach universities to no. sports in the same way. 
How different is it? We don't have any college teams or anything like this. You have the club teams and um, obviously some youth teams. Especially with women's soccer, you don't even have girls teams sometimes. So I played with boys until the age of 14. When I came to the US, it was just completely different because every little girl was playing and every high school had a team and every college has a team. And I was just amazed on how big it is in the US. Um, I wish it would be like this in Europe, but I think at the moment it's just men's soccer is such a big thing in Europe. That's the number one sport in Europe. And so we still have room to improve, um, but I think we're on the right track and it's getting better and better and more girls start playing. So yeah, USA was pretty amazing just to see how it could be. And I just hope that we can catch up to that system at some point. I was wondering, I wasn't sure if you were going to have a Tennessee accent on your English. Uh, hey. No, I don't think I do. I hope I don't because it's so hard sometimes. (laughs) But uh, but your English is great, obviously, and and very much better than my German. So, Um, in terms of becoming a professional, how old were you when you decided that you wanted to to? try to become a professional soccer player? Um, to be honest, I never really planned it. It was like I always did what like made fun and I played soccer because it was always fun and it will always be fun. And then, yeah, uh, opportunity arise and I went to the US and it was just really cool to play college there. And then the offer came from Potsdam in Germany. So I was like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. And now I'm here at Bayern Munich and I couldn't be happier. So it was kind of like step by step, but it was never really planned that way, which is pretty cool. And I still play it because it's fun and not for anything else. So I think that's just part of the beautiful game. And I love it. (laughs) Nice. Um, And I I had a question because you're playing at an extremely high level right now with Bayern Munich um, at the top of the Champions League and in Europe. And I, I was surprised that I know a few years ago that you had looked into playing in the NWSL, but I, I had read that teams like Portland and Washington didn't sign you. What happened? Did you get a lot better in the last few years or did the NWSL teams not recognize your talent very well? I don't think they did. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, I was in Washington and then Mark Parsons was like, come over to Portland and I had a great time in Portland and I still keep in touch with Mark. I think he's an amazing coach and a great person. Um, but I just made the decision that it would be good for me to go to Europe because I knew in Portland they had so big star players and if I would have stayed, I don't think I would have had that role that I wanted at this time, prepare for the European Championship and stuff. So um, for me, at that time, it was just the right move to go back to Europe, go to Germany and actually play a lot of games and be ready for the European Championship. And that's what I did. And I think it was the right move. And it brought me to where I am today. But I'm grateful for my experiences in Washington and Portland as well. When you look at Bayern Munich this season, what are some of the biggest changes in the team? There aren't that many changes. I think um, we got really good quality players, like new players, really good international players um, who will make us stronger for sure. So I think we just got the whole squad got stronger. Um, we have 24 amazing players and I don't think it matters who starts the game. We're all on such a high level and that's just super, super cool. And also for practice, super important um but yeah i'm glad that the team kind of like stayed together from last year 
so we can just improve as a team and together and don't have to rebuild everything. So I'm excited for the season and preseason has been going super good so far. So I'm ready. <laughs> nice. Um, you scored this amazing goal for Bayern against Chelsea in the Champions League semifinals. What happened on that goal? And is that the best goal you have ever scored? <laughs> I think it was. I'm not like the scoring machine. I usually don't <laughs> score that much. Um, but it was just the perfect moment. Um, it's like the feeling when you just hit the ball perfect and it actually goes in. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't enough and we didn't reach the final. I think that's always more important. Like that the team success is always like the most important thing. So it was a cool goal. It wasn't enough. So I will still keep it in my memory and I don't know if it will happen again. <laughs> I can't promise you that, but I will try my best to do it again. You, you obviously play for the Austrian national team, which has qualified for next year's Women's European Championship. You reached the semifinals in 2017. I'm pretty sure that was the first time that Austria had made the European Championship. Uh, how do you feel about your team's chances at the Euros next summer? I think we know where we stand as a team and that we are like not like the top countries, for example, Germany, England, France, Spain, and so on. Um, so at 2017, we were the underdog and it was just an amazing tournament for us. But we know that everything has to be right to reach that again. And we're still waiting for our group. Like the draw hasn't been done yet. So um, for us, it's just always amazing to be part of such an event and to gain experience. The team is pretty much the same like it was in 2017. We've lost a few players, but not too many. So I'm excited and I just hope that we can show Austria again that women's soccer is a cool thing and that we can be successful together. And that's our main goal, I think, to just yeah show young girls in Austria it's cool to play soccer. Nice. I, the, the next Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand in 2023 is going to have more teams in it. There's going to be 32 teams for the first time. Um, how do you feel about Austria's chances of, of qualifying for that tournament? Um, it's always hard to qualify in Europe because we have so many amazing teams and um, that's our goal. We want to go to the World Cup for the first time ever and our group is already set so I'm excited to get started. Obviously we have England in our group so we know they are on paper obviously the better team but also as a second um, place in our group we could qualify through the playoffs so that's our goal. And I would say we have good chances, but everything has to be right because women's soccer in Europe is getting closer and closer together and even small teams are catching up. So it will be tough, but definitely possible. We're seeing the competition in Europe at the club level changing as well. Uh, you know, Lyon didn't win the Champions League last year after winning five straight. Barcelona won. Um, you know, there's there's more money being spent by teams in England now. There's more money being spent on your team. Um, do you think Bayern Munich can win the Champions League this season? I think we can, but I also know that there's tough competition out there and that everything has to be right. And sometimes small things make the difference. Difference like when we played against Chelsea in the semis, they were just so effective in front of goal and we didn't use our chances. And yeah, like you said, it's getting closer and closer together. It's exciting. Um, women's soccer is growing and we are part of it. And I would say we are part of the top few teams in Europe, but there's no guarantee that we will win the Champions League. Um, but we are definitely going to try our best and hopefully be in the final this year. Sarah Zadrazil is a midfielder for Bayern Munich, just starting the season right now in the United States. 
Good luck in the season ahead. And thanks so much for joining me, Sarah. Thanks. It was good talking to you. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Ted Filipakos and Sarah Zadrazil, as well as producer Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. Thank you.